HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following episode of Cooking Issues has been brought to you by TechServe. This January, responsibly dispose of your old electronics at one of 10 e-waste recycling events held across four boroughs of New York City, hosted by TechServe and the Lower East Side Ecology Center. Computers, printers, monitors, and lots of other electronics are being accepted for safe and proper recycling. Visit www.techserve.com recycling for more information and drop-off location details. Hello, and welcome to a late starting Cooking Issues. I apologize to all the Cooking Issues listeners for being so late. I was stopped by the New York City subway system today, uh, which decided it would take more than an hour to take me from my house in Manhattan to uh, Bushwick here at Roberta's Pizzeria in Brooklyn, which uh, should only be a half-hour ride. Uh, I could have run about twice as fast as Stasha. What do you think? Yeah. And then uh, to top it off, uh, what made it even more fun was as I was running from the subway station to the pizzeria, I uh, nearly stepped in an eviscerated pigeon. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And there's a dog outside the pizzeria tied up uh, on a leash so long, uh, and it hated me so much because I was running, I guess it thought I was frightened, that I had to literally jump out of the way of its lunging teeth <laughs> as it was flying towards my jugular. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> an inauspicious start to our show. Uh, it's going to have to be slightly abbreviated because we do have a show coming in at 1. Uh, call in all your questions to, what's the number, Stas? 718-497-2128. Am I right, Jack? That's 718, <laughs> what is it? 497-2128. So call in all your questions, but make it snappy because... Uh, Unfortunately, we're going to have an abbreviated cooking issues uh, this week. Okay, so our first question comes in uh, anonymously via TweetDeck, whatever TweetDeck is. Uh, and uh, here she says, uh, Cooking issues has embraced the equipment of the stoner in various ways, from the spice grinder to the smoking gun, etc. So maybe it's time for a fair trade back. I know it might be a touchy subject on air, but uh, I thought I'd try for some insight. Uh, after having surgery a year ago, I can no longer partake in the smoking of anything. I guess presumably marijuana is what... Is going to be asked about, but I occasionally bake cook with, with it, meaning marijuana. If people who write about uh, well, marijuana are so cagey with what they're talking about, well, uh, and s- since I don't actually smoke it or bake with it or do anything with it, I have no problem talking about it. Right, yeah. we're, we're talking about marijuana here. Um, 
Anyway, uh, okay, so uh, I occasionally bake cook with it as a substitute to smoking. Uh, Google hasn't provided any answers as to what temperature, THC, that's uh, what's that, tetra, tetrahydrocannabinol, right, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, is extracted into fat. And uh, <clears throat> while the double uh, boiler method is fine, this means putting your marijuana finely ground into butter in a double boiler and cooking it, uh, I have an immersion circulator who is curious as to uh, which temperature I could utilize the low temp of the immersion circulator to more effectively and with less attention uh, replace a double boiler with low temp method. Well, um, I don't think there's a specific temperature. I did some research yesterday. There's not a specific temperature at which THC is extracted. Just increasing the temperature, increase the extraction rate of THC. There are some people who say that uh, storing a uh, high temperature for too long can degrade some uh, of the THC. But then I have uh, some other sources that say uh, cooking your oil at a, at a higher, much higher temperature actually can take uh, <clears throat> some, some types of uh, pot and uh, actually increase their potency, presumably by taking... Um, uh, uh, t- THC that has a carboxyl group on it, an acid, uh, decarboxylating it, and then uh, converting it into THC. But uh, I don't, I don't know about that. I would say that you're going to be uh, really good if you use a vacuum bag. So treat this like a cooking problem, right? Uh, if you use a vacuum bag, you're going to get the fat more <clears throat> injected into the. Um, into the leaf, and so I would assume you get a faster, better, more complete uh, extraction. Um, I haven't really done any experiments in this, but I, I encourage anyone else to. To write in. I spent about an hour, an hour and a half looking for it, but I also didn't get anything uh, specific. I would just set your circulator to like 85C uh, with a bag. Make sure you squeeze the bag a bunch to get agitation. Agitation seems important. And uh, let us know how it works, uh, Mr. or Mrs. TweetDeck. Uh, we have a caller? Yes. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dave. Howdy. Uh, quick question. Um, over Christmas break, my mom made uh, scalloped potatoes, and she's had mixed results before with um, graying of the potatoes, and she's using non-reactive uh, cookware, uh, corningware. Right. I mean, is this a, does she need to put the potato slices in acidulated water first, or what's going on there? Uh, yeah, so when you say graying, you mean um, kind of the color that you get when potatoes are leaving out, kind of a bluish gray, blackish bluish gray. Bluish gray, almost, I mean, not quite black, but getting, yeah, just looking a little, you know, it tasted fine, but it just looked a little scary. Yeah, I think your analysis is pretty much right on here. I think what's happening is is the uh, the heat isn't getting to them fast enough to um, cook them before uh, the enzymes in them have a chance to start uh, working on them and, and turning them brown. I've never tried, um, although I don't know why I feel silly saying this, but I've never tried doing something like ascorbic acid as an attempt to prevent uh, that sort of enzymatic browning because usually my technique is to just keep them submerged in water. Until I'm, okay. ready, until I'm ready to cook. But that's not really an option in the gratin. I mean, is it, is it in a really slow oven? Uh, it's, it's not a convection oven. It's a conventional, yeah. That might have something to do with it. And, you know, I think it's also uh, quite interesting that you say that it's in uh, corning because a corning is going to obviously transmit the heat to the potatoes slower uh, mm. than, uh, you know, if it goes in cold. Now, it'll, trans- it'll transmit it like a champ if you preheat it, but then it becomes a pain to layer the gratin into the dish yeah, uh, yeah. when you're going. Um, you know, be- if you minimize exposure to oxygen, make sure that all the, uh, all the potato pieces are coated in kind of a, in, in, you know, the sauce or whatever before you go. Of course, that might not be an option with the recipe you're using. I mean, you could try a little ascorbic acid. I'd be curious whether or not it works. Obviously, a pre-blanch would work, but then that's kind of a hassle to have to pre-blanch your potato slices before you do cool. it. Um, yeah. you know, but I would just make sure that before you assemble it, that, that the, the chips are stored under water for as long a, a period or, you know, or used as quickly as possible because that's also going to save you some, 
some browning. Um, I don't know. What, do you think any of these are the actual culprit or what? I, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. I think in the future, I'll, I'll advise you to just try the. Uh, the Acidulated water, I guess. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I mean, the problem is you don't want the thing to taste like lemons. I would get ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C. Okay. Or you can get um, if you uh, uh, you know go to a natural food store, not a natural food store, but a place that deals with dehydrators. Um, they make uh, sodium metabisulfite, which is uh, some people use as as the, you know as a uh, antioxidant as well. But I wouldn't use lemon juice because I think it's really going to kind of mar the flavor of what you're looking for. And even ascorbic okay. a- ascorbic acid, you know has some flavor, but just not very much, and you would need a relatively small amount of it. Because remember, you only need it to last until it gets hot enough to kill the enzymes anyway, and then you're good to go. Yeah. All right. All right, and so try a faster pan, try preheating the Pyrex, try using ascorbic acid, but let us us know what happens, see whether or not uh, any of our guesses were uh, on the money, all right? Awesome, Dave. I'll keep you updated. All right, cool. Um, Now, uh, we have a question. it comes in from Tucker saying, on yesterday's radio show, oh, yesterday, well, last week's radio show, Dave mentioned a modification to a soda stream to deal with foaming when carbonating things other than water. I got one because my girlfriend goes through a liter of soda water a day. Only a liter? Does. Uh, only wimpy. wimpy. Come on. Get your girlfriend to start drinking liquids. <laughs> Christ sakes. Uh, I tried carbonating a, a couple of white wines, which foam too much to get very carbonated. What would the modification to the soda stream be to solve this problem? Okay, first of all. You're going to, uh, in order to make a white wine taste as carbonated as water, you're going to need to actually put more bubbles into it because uh, uh, wine, anything with alcohol in it, tends to absorb more uh, CO2 for the same level of sensation on your tongue, right? Which means that you're going to have to have the wine to be very cold. So the, the first trick you're going to have to do is not try to um, carbonate white wine when it's right out of the, uh, you know, just out of the fridge because that's probably not going to be cold enough. I would get it ice cold. Ice cold, okay? Ice cold. <laughs> and then uh, I would put it into uh, the soda stream machine. It, it is going to foam. Anything that has kind of surface active properties like that is going to foam a lot more than um, your typical than water. Water is the only thing that we really carbonate a lot that doesn't foam at all. So here's what I would do. Uh, there's a, in, for those of you who don't know what the heck I'm talking about, soda stream, you can go, you can buy them at uh, like a Whole Foods. You can buy them at, at a bunch of different places. And they, they use kind of an intermediate size uh, – CO2 canister and allow you to carbonate, I don't know, several gallons with one, with one canister and then you recycle the canister and get a new one and you only have to carry the CO2 bottle around because you produce the water at your house. There's not a lot of plastic waste, etc., etc. Okay, so uh, in the soda stream, you're supposed to fill the bottle, I think like two-thirds or a little more up, and a little tube goes into the bottle and that's what actually carbonates. It's like a little like almost looks like a cappuccino frothing thing that comes down. Now, the problem is is that if you actually fill up your bottle with wine to the level that that tube touches, it's going to foam, and there's really nothing you can do about that. It's going to foam a lot. So what I would do is put a tube over that, right? So get, get a piece of rubber tubing uh, and then just slip it over that to extend the length of the CO2 uh, wand down closer to the bottom of your container. You're going to have to jimmy it around to get the container onto it with that longer tube, but that's going to allow you to carbonate with a much smaller volume of liquid, right? Now, so now you have your super ice cold white wine. You uh, have your tube extender on your soda stream. Plug it in. Hit it a couple times. Now, remember, this is all theoretical because I don't own a soda stream. Uh, hit it a couple times with CO2, but don't carbonate it as much as you think. Now, now, purposely, 
purposely foam off that wine, right? Now you're going to be bubbling all the stuff out. You're going to be getting rid of any uh, trapped air that's in the wine from the pouring. And in that kind of trapped air is going to cause a lot of foaming and bubbling. And so if you do that once or twice with a small amount of CO2, you're going to get rid of some of the crud that's in there that's causing the foaming, and you're going to get a better carbonated product all the way around. Then hit it with your maximum amount of CO2. I would pick up the, the unit a little bit and shake it a little bit to get the, the, the CO2 uh, in. Then let it settle out completely, completely before you uh, vent and allow it to open. Because I think this, I've never, again, this is all theoretical. I think the soda stream lets you pressurize and then vent separately, but I'm not sure. But th- this technique should work. Even if it does not, this technique should work. The, the main thing you use is foaming is not your enemy. You just have to uh, account for it, which means you have to use a smaller volume and you have to get the CO2 down into that smaller volume and that you should definitely carbonate more than one time. The only time we carbonate once is with water. Everything else we carbonate, even water sometimes a couple times, we carbonate two three, four times to make sure that we've gotten rid of all of the nucleation sites and that uh, we get a good product. And, um, you know, just empirically from the years and years that we've, you know, I've been carbonating, this proves to be a, a technique that works, and I'm assuming you can get it to work with the soda stream. We can jimmy almost anything to work. Um, what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, let's rip through this because we're, we're on short time. So I, I think we're going to be commercial. Oh, by the way, uh, Tucker, who sent us that, enjoyed our country hand post. Nice. Nice. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, um, Marty from Eagle Rock, California, says, San Gabriel Valley represent. Is that where you're from? I, yeah, yeah. Yeah? And Eagle Rock is a place that has a rock that looks like an eagle. For real? Yes. <laughs> oh, all right. Like a like a, like an eagle with its wings out, or like no, a, just the head, a, like a dead eagle, like a big head, an eagle's head. Yeah, specifically an eagle's head. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, I read on the site that you can use the ISI infusion technique on uh, to make flavored oils. Have you ever tried cacao or coffee infused oils? I have not. Uh, I have not. Uh, that's uh, an interesting question. Um, no. <laughs> um, I know people. Obviously, we've we've done a lot with uh, cacao and uh, alcohol. Because I do most of my stuff with alcohol in the ISI. Um, and uh, I know people that have done coffee, coffee bitters. Don Lee is working on a coffee bitters. Um, so the, the short answer, no, uh, I, I haven't. The, um, uh, I, would, I would just try it and, and, and tell, us, tell us what happens. I mean there's no reason why it shouldn't work. The main thing we've done with it is lemon peels. Uh, and we made, made our own lemon uh, oils and um, other things like that, citrus. Uh, the, you know, for those of you who don't know what the heck I'm talking about, ISI infusion is where you put uh, – you take an ISI cream whipper. You put in um, – uh, we use liquor, but you can put in water-based foods or uh, oils. You put in something porous. You pressurize it with nitrous. When you pressurize it with nitrous, it forces the fat or liquid into your porous product. You shake the, the heck out of it to get it to infuse in. Then you rapidly vent it, and all the flavor gets boiled out. Uh, and you have a delicious infused product. Um, remember, though, when you do oils, you're going to want to use a lot more product. It doesn't suck up the flavor as readily as alcohol, although you know, this might be an interesting way to suck some of the flavor out of the marijuana, going back to our marijuana mm-hmm. post. maybe. Pl- I'm, not a- I'm not advocating this. I'm not advocating this, but someone might want to try uh, uh, ISI in conjunction with, uh, with a water bath. Put, you know, put the ISI into a water bath um, and see whether or not you can extract uh, herbal oil essences, let's say. Yeah? Don't be cagey. Uh, yeah, marijuana. I'm talking about marijuana. I can say that because I don't really care. Um, now, Marty also wants to make a uh, Telegio uh, cheese whiz. 
which sounds like a, a good idea. Um, I didn't. Uh, unfortunately, I was going to talk to my uh, cheese whiz expert, which is uh, Wiley Dufresne, whose favorite his favorite food isn't really cheese whiz; it's eggs. And but he loves American cheese, right? And so the trick with the cheese whiz is getting the, the texture just right. Now I've I've made many uh, cheese sauces, including some that could be gunned, uh, but I've noticed. Um, you know that unless you unless you get it just right, sometimes it can go grainy. I don't think that's going to be a problem with the telegio. The telegio, you're just going to want to stop from breaking. But I hesitate to give you a recipe now. I'm going to have Nastasha remind me that when I talk to Wiley, I'm going to see what he thinks the best kind of telegio spray cheese would be. It, uh, my son's actually fascinated not with cheese whiz, but the actual pressurized because he wants to. Marty wants to do this in his ISI. Uh, who else has a recipe for that out there? I think. Uh, is it Bayless? Someone like, no, no. Who has a, someone has a recipe out Anyway, we'll, we'll find one for you. And the, my son, though, is obsessed with the Easy Cheese. Do you know, you're familiar with the mm-hmm. Easy Cheese? Easy Cheese is like, you know, the spray cheese that comes, but it sprays out really slowly. And that used to be my car food of choice. I used to drive 24 hours straight from uh, New York or, or Connecticut down to Florida to visit my grandparents with friends. And we would just pack the car with uh, Diet Mountain Dew, Easy Cheese, pretzels, and prunes. And that combination of like 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 it somehow leveled us out and got us uh, to Florida without crashing uh, crashing and dying. So yeah, good good memories. Easy cheese. Anyway, uh, we'll look that up. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, um, did you find a? Oh, here's the one we didn't talk about last week. The one I flubbed last week. Uh, Howard from Montreal asked us whether or not. We thought that potassium chloride, which is used in a 50-50 ratio with sodium chloride as a salt replacer, would be uh, a good um, replacement for salt in brines. Uh, and so, and for some reason last week, my brain was completely fried. I don't know why my brain's working any better this week with the, you know, the transportation problems I've had. But um, he, uh, I think he's pretty much right. I think that in most situations, uh, potassium chloride mixed with sodium chloride would uh, provide a lot of the same uh, functionality as just straight sodium chloride in a brine scenario. Uh, possibly in a uh, in a bread scenario, I don't know how specific the reactions are to sodium versus uh, you know sodium as a particular ion versus uh, potassium as a particular ion, or whether it's just ionic strength that's doing the, doing the the business. I know that most of the time when we're brining, even when we use things other than table salt, we do use sodium uh, based things like the sodium polyphosphates that are used to plump up hams uh, and things like that. Uh, one thing I would caution against is that potassium chloride tastes nasty to me. It's got like a metallic, bitter taste. I find it nasty. I just don't like it. Um, I really don't like it. Um, Magnesium chloride, um, I like a lot better because it's sweeter. Uh, as uh, Howard points out, though, magnesium might not have the same effects because it's a divalent cation, so you'd have to add uh, more of it because it's got uh, all the extra chloride in there. Uh, Nastasia is not a huge fan of the magnesium chloride. No. No? No. No. no? No, yeah, we made, we did a test where we made a bunch of different uh, uh, fake bottled waters by using uh, a filtered water and then adding our own salts to it. And I actually liked the magnesium chloride water, although it really tasted nasty after we carbonated it. Am I right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, pretty nasty, but it did have a sweet taste by itself. Um, but this brings me to uh, my next point, which is uh, salt in general. Now, uh, I don't remember whether ha- Howard's, uh, I believe it was. Who was it that couldn't – his mom, I guess, couldn't have uh, straight salt. Uh, but Ken Kirschenbaum from the Experimental Cuisine Collective, professor of polymer chemistry at, uh, at uh, NYU, friend of mine, friend of the blogs. Uh, we were having discussion because a friend of his actually uh, 
uh, shot a beaver or trapped a beaver and then you know shot it to to kill it uh, legally. By the way, completely legally, the guy's like a game blah blah straight state trooper upstate, uh, and he brought brought me the tail. So we're going to cook it for him. I'm going to invite Ken over and we're going to have some beaver tail, flapper and tail. By the way, mm. not just tail, not just flapper, flapper plus tail. Mm. Anyway, uh, so. Uh, we were having this discussion, and Kent, as a scientist, uh, he and I get into uh, discussions a lot about how crappy most science is, specifically food science, but but even more specifically, uh, nutrition-based science that tries to make claims about things. And one of the one of the problems he has now, uh, and we're trying to figure out, is is there's a huge kind of uh, war on salt right now, right? I mean, Nastasha and I, uh, well, it's a long, stupid yes. story. Yeah, but and we were out of California. This guy was like, hey. This was uh, this is in May. He's like, hey, I hear that they they're outlawed using salt in, in all of New York City. All of New York. I was like, no, that's not true. And he's like, yeah, they outlawed it. I was like, I was just there. And he's like, no, 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 they outlawed. I was like, I work in a cooking school. I'm pretty sure I would kind of know, you know. And I'm up on this anyway. Uh, but it is true that people are trying to limit the the, the use of salt. Uh, major corporations, including some that uh, we've worked with, uh, you know, have come out with a lot of. Um, products that where they're trying to reduce the salt because salt is seen as this kind of evil additive that people are adding to processed foods uh to, i don't know to get us a, i don't know i don't know what the the gripe is here's the thing right is that uh the data is awful the data sucks right there is no data showing that the majority of us need to curtail our salt intake right i mean we all forget that before uh you know refrigeration right we consumed a buttload of salt right because everything we had was preserved in some form of drying or drying and salting or drying and salting and smoking but it was a lot of salt our great grandpappies and grandmammies had much more salt in their diet i would guess than us just because we happened to eat a lot of easy cheese now i'm not advocating going out and buying easy cheese and i'm not advocating on going on salt overload but what are the ramifications right to saying that we have to reduce all of uh, salt and everything i'll tell you what they are right because it's not it's not that you're going to suddenly go out and eat less processed food i mean maybe the listeners for our blog are because they're pretty hardcore people right but the real ramifications are that instead of reducing uh, salt or making it less processed, what they're going to do is they're going to try and keep palatability the same, and they're going to do it by ramping up umami. So if you taste a lot of these, um, if you taste a lot of these, uh, these you know products that have reduced sodium, right? They have natural versions of free glutamic acid, and whether or not they're the sodium variant, which they won't be because they're trying to reduce sodium. It's the sodium, not the salt, right? That people are worried about. Uh, but they're going to be ramping up things like potassium, uh, you know. Uh, you know monopotassium glutamate uh, or natural forms of this so they can say that they have a lower sodium content. And the upshot is all of these products taste like dashi, right? They all have a brothy dashi sameness like a, 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 because we're not used to those flavors being in those products. So, you know, you don't the, the problem with MSG isn't that it's bad. I don't believe it gives you a headache. The, all the best studies are that if – and Nastasha thinks it gives her a headache, by the way. Well, blacks, I black out. Wait, that's, that's crap. I'm just saying. It's, not it, it's crap. Anyway, uh, we'll do a double-blind study. But my my point is is that is that um, you you know everything in the world shouldn't taste like it has a lot of whether or not it's natural, whether or not it's got the sodium, whether or not it causes a problem. Not everything in the world is meant to taste like it's doped up on on MSG. It's not supposed to taste like dashi. It's not supposed to taste brothy or or mushroomy or parmigiani or 
or tomatoey. Do you know what I mean? And so I think the, the upshot is, is that in order to increase palatability, we're going to get to an even uh, greater level of homogeneity in taste. And I think this is a, a, a huge problem. Now, that's just from a taste standpoint. From a science standpoint, um, you know, I was reading an article and, uh, you know, and it cited a, another article that was really, really crappy on uh, that salt is like the biggest killer – uh, today and the and the article basically said, well, uh, heart disease kills everyone, a lot of people, uh, and uh, salt is a big cause of heart disease, and therefore salt causes most. Of- this is all this is all horse hockey. Like the truth is, is that majority of us can eat as much salt within reason as we want and not uh, not have hypertension as a result. Now, uh, th- this is my feeling. Now, we're, I'm like I'm. Basically here, I want people to call in on me and say that I'm full of it, right? I will, but I want to see if we can form our own kind of warpath, pro-salt warpath. Salt, salt, salt. Love it, right? Not because I need to make it force food that's bad down people's throat, but because salt is the universal delicious maker, right? Salt will make everything taste better. We all need salt. Like our civilization is built on salt. Like we are a salt loving group of folk and i think that there's no reason for us to um to stop just because some nincompoops say that we are uh you know that that all of a sudden we're all going to get hypertension as a result of our salt intake and i definitely don't think that they should make processed foods even worse than they are now by making them all taste like dashi broth not that dashi broth is not delicious and in fact i have a post in draft mode it's going to go up later today on kombu dashi i swear to swear i swear to god it's going up today yeah it's it's in draft mode so it's going to be we are extremely (laughs) pro uh kombu dashi um but um but i just don't think that my pasta should necessarily taste like kombu dashi. Now, uh, one la- what was the name of the... Oh, go. what, what, one last thing. It's my, it's my, it's my outro. Okay, Ken. Uh, Ken. So Ken, who wrote in about the AeroPress uh, coffee machine, uh, told us to read an article last week. I didn't get time to read it until last night. And it's called The Truth Wears Off by uh, Jonah Lehrer in The New Yorker. And it's a very interesting article on uh, the fact that scientific research tends to be... Um, that pe- people like have these great results that tend to turn to crap over time. The more the studies are replicated, the more you find that uh, the results are, are crap. Now, this is, uh, you know, dovetails into what we were talking about before is that a lot of people report things by data mining. They data mine things and then they figure out that, well, uh, you know, X, Y, or Z nutritional thing is great or X, Y, Z food is bad. But uh, I'm going to, and everyone should read the article. It's very, you know, great article, important article, uh, as was pointed out to us. But uh, I want to, f- focus it more on cooking. And the same thing happens to us with cooking. I find that um, we all rush to – and I'm you know, probably guilty of this more than anyone else because we write a blog that's supposed to have some new, new results to it. But I think we all need to uh, be careful when, um, when we're cooking to make sure that we are actually doing what we think we're doing, that we actually um, – we pay attention to uh, what tries to make a food better, what tries to make a food worse, um, that we don't give explanations right away, that we try to uh, disprove what we're working on rather than prove what we're working on because I think that's going to make us think more like scientists in the kitchen and I think thinking like a scientist in the kitchen is going to make you a better cook. Uh, Sorry for the late start and this has been Cooking Issues coming back to you on time next week. 